graduation. At graduation, we are celebrating um, a most wonderful accomplishment. Uh, we talk about uh, potential in times of celebrating graduations. We think about the future and what a life can hold. But, I mean, come on. How much went into that? Can you remember? Can you, can you remember? I mean, sure, they start out cute. But the struggles along the way, the disappointments along the way, the moments of, you did what? Along the way. You know, I think we have a way of doing um, the same thing when we tend to look at people in the Bible. I think we look at the scripture and we, in a way, know the progression. We know sort of the, the, the end of that story. And so who wouldn't want to be a David or a Joshua or an Esther or a Ruth? I mean, look how the story ends, how, how incredible. But when you see how their life began and how it progressed, there's, there's a part of that that's like, eh, we don't want that. We don't want that. But what I want you to think about this morning, how God takes very ordinary people and he does something so special in their development that in the end, it's extraordinary. Now what I'm about to read to you, and today, by the way, is not a read a lot of scripture day. Today is it's time to look at a little bit of a verse, and honestly, it's about a lot of application that we've been looking at for several weeks. The words we're about to read were spoken by a man. These are his last words. His name is Stephen in the book of Acts, chapter 7. He's about to lose his life, and he gets one last shot. And he's sort of building toward his point. He's telling some history of his people. And in the middle of that, in verse 20, he says this. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. No ordinary child. There's another place in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. We know it as the hall of faith. And it reads this way, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. It's the phrase that, that is attached to Moses' life, no ordinary child. And we would say, that's right, that's right. I mean, if you know Moses' story, it is absolutely extraordinary. But stop it. Think about his upbringing. He's born, right? He's born in a time of crisis because he's born in a time that all the boy babies were killed. He's, it happens by an Egyptian empire that has enslaved his people. It's like, what a horrible moment to be born in. Imagine growing up, being the guy, walking the street, and every mother looks at you and remembers that their son didn't make it. 
That's Moses. And what a family scenario when your parents decide that the safest thing for you is to put you in a basket and sail you down the Nile River hoping that the crocodiles don't eat you only to see the daughter of the dude that wants you dead get you, adopt you, and you grow up in the home of the Pharaoh that massacred your people. You talk about psychological dysfunction. And then the day comes that Moses sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite. Moses kills the Egyptian. That was not God's plan, you understand. But God wasn't the only one that saw Moses, and so he had to run. He ran for 40 years from who he was to become. No ordinary child. Now, I don't think that phrase simply refers to the fact that Moses' mom and daddy thought he was cute, because we all got that right. This is a people who are projecting back. And they're looking at Moses' story and saying there was a moment where Moses began to trust God with his life And when you do that, God has an amazing way of reframing your story all the way back to the day that you were born. Listen to me. You, every person in this room, were born no ordinary child. Not ordinary. The the fact that at two, you could learn like one of the most difficult languages on the planet. And you, you could speak, some of you quicker than that, you could speak enough that you could tell them what you want. And the fact is, we could have plopped you down any country in the world and you could have learned that language at two. Isn't that wild? We could have put you in China and you got it. Wherever in the world, what a capacity. What an, what an, an incredible being. With all this creativity... Most children, when they are young, you give them the problem and they will come up with 25 ways to solve it. But by age 12, we get to where we've accomplished a standardization project often. How to be like everybody else. And suddenly everybody's measured on one track of performance and we celebrate the few who excel in that track and we leave to them the extraordinary work. And I'm telling you the same can be true spiritually. That sometimes people have this way of viewing somebody else as being the person who is gifted to do the extraordinary things in the world for God and so we leave it to them. We take our first breath extraordinary and we take our last breath ordinary. But when you allow God to expand your trust in him, then you, you who are born in the image of God, a reflection of the essence and the nature of God, you, a human being, 
unlike any other creature that God created. Created with a capacity to be able at times to see things that have not yet come about. And then with passion and skill and courage, you make those things a reality. You, a human being, unlike any other creature, with the privilege of God whispering into your soul, this is who you can become. This is the world that you can create. You are God's instrument for creating the future only he can imagine. How cool is that? That's you. That's you. No ordinary child. There has never been born an ordinary human being. When you were born, you were no ordinary child, but it is up to you to decide if you live an extraordinary life. As parents and as a church, we so long to see that become a reality for every child in our care. And some of you already know this. Um, we have so little time. Anybody know that the distance from this to this flies? The time flies. It moves so incredibly fast. Those moments that I can remember, you know, sitting in the rocking chair, rocking my girls, thinking I could just stay here forever. It didn't. These jars represent the truth of that today. Um, from the moment a child is born to the moment they graduate, if these marbles represent each week of their life, the maximum that anybody gets is 936. 936 weeks from birth to graduation. Now that's assuming they don't decide to do second grade twice, all right? But I'm saying if you just go all the way through, birth to graduation, 936 weeks. By the time they graduate kindergarten, you're down to 624. Like, wow, a third of it's just gone. By the time they graduate sixth grade, you're down to 300. And 12. The empty represents next steps on their own. It flies, doesn't it? Some of you right now are going, oh my goodness, I only have that many marbles left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a really cool app out there, by the way. It's called the Legacy Marble Countdown. I'd recommend it. Because some of you need something in front of you on a regular basis and your phone is in front of you all the time. Just to remind you, another week. Another week. And what are you doing with another week? I want to give you two very practical steps that if you choose to act on in this season of your life, and by this season I mean this summer, because this is what we've been given to begin pouring our life into something so significant. Watch this, and then I'll tell you what we're talking about. When I look at you, here's what I think. Wow. 
What a beautiful family. And what if every kid could know belonging like that? What if every kid could grow up believing the church looked like that? I say we create the opportunity. And today is a declaration that from this day forward, we are going to move forward with a renewed focus on the next generation of this body. And we're going to pour our lives into them. And what if we began by doing that with Sunday? I'm saying, what if every child had that kind of team in their life? Yeah, mom and dad, and nobody can ever replace mom and dad. But what if every child had spiritual grandparents and spiritual aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters who would would pour into their life? What if every child had a team? And I'm saying, what if every child had a team, for example, in in Bible study on Sunday morning? What if, what if every second grade class, and I'm dreaming a little bit here, all right? I'm, I'm dreaming about what, what perhaps could be one day. That, that there could be a, a class full of just second graders. We aren't able to even join ages together because we got a, a whole class full of second graders and there are, there's a team of five people who every Sunday are pouring into them. And yeah, you got some people who are really good at, at taking a Bible story and, and creatively beginning to pour that out. You know, they're, they're what you tend to think of to be a Sunday school teacher, but, but what if there are other people in that room with them? They're the ones who show them the other stuff too. How to throw a baseball. And they show up at their baseball game. They show up at their performances. I'm saying, what if there was a group, a team of people who would pour into every second grade class something that went far beyond just a Sunday morning hour of Bible study, but I'm talking about a presence that poured into kids that by the time they get to this age, and you understand there'll come a day where your kid's 17 and you better hope that your kid has some other voices that they will listen to when they're not listening to yours. And what if we set such a culture that every kid had a team Can you imagine the difference I think that would make? Not only in the lives of kids, but in the lives of people who begin to pour it out for them. I mean, I told you, these people who teach, man, they walk out some Sundays not thinking, what an eternal difference I made today. But you do that as a team, it changes that for you. You're able to help each other. You kind of, you encourage each other along the way. It cuts down on the weariness that can come. It really can. I mean, think about the connection that happens in a group of people like that and the development, not only of the children, but of those of us who would be teamed in that room and you're watching other people teach and you're watching how other people connect and you watch how they love to be able to do that together. It's bigger than teaching a lesson. I'm saying today, thank you to so many ladies who over the years have 
taught into the lives of our children. And I'm grateful for the men who stood on this stage earlier today and pour into the lives of our children. I'm declaring that the numbers need to be more even. And we need more men who will pour into the lives of our kids. Men, they need us. But they also need the students in this body who will pour into them. They need the senior adults in this body who have life to pour into them. And to be able to do that as a team, can you imagine what that classroom would be like? If you got that grouping of people like you just saw on the screen and they're, they're pouring into your children, for many of you it's time to begin giving away what you for many, 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 many years have received. You know, it's interesting to me, May the 9th, 1914, was the day that President Woodrow Wilson signed the proclamation declaring Mother's Day. A public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. And the woman who is often given most credit for kind of being the mom behind all that is a lady by the name of Anna Jarvis. She was the one who created the movement that led to the proclamation. And it's funny, when you read her story, she always cites her mom as the source. 1876, she heard her mom pray in a Sunday school class, praying for such a thing to come about. But what I'm telling you is what Anna's mom had in mind seems to be sort of different than where it has been brought to reality because the evidence suggests that the original idea was for a Mother's Day plural. Not just a Mother's Day in the sense of for your own mom. See, her mom gave birth to 13 children, and four of them lived to adulthood. It's because she grew up in a region where 30% of the infants died before they were one. It was largely due to epidemics spread by poor sanitary conditions, that sort of thing. And so what she began to do is she would ask her brother, who was a doctor, and other doctors to come and help her. And they eventually organized events where these doctors would lead discussions with local moms on the, the latest hygiene practices to help keep their children healthy. And what they called it was Mother's Day Work Clubs. Now, hear me out. I'm certainly not saying that Mother's Day is wrong. I am so much for this day that you don't have any idea how much I love moms and how much moms mean to us. But I'm also saying that the original mom behind Mother's Day believed that the greatest blessing and the fullest life was not found in a day where what honor can you get, but it was found on a day where honor could be given, where moms gathered to give honor to moms who were struggling. That was her heart. And it's true. The greatest honor and the greatest life is not in getting, it's in giving. That's why we love moms so much, because they give all the time. I'm saying some of you who attend here, attend here for what you can get. It can be a very consumeristic view. Your, your life song is more like take me out to the ball game where I can eat peanuts and Cracker Jacks all day and cheer for the people who are actually doing the stuff, like teach my kids. 
And some of you have been sitting in Bible study classes for years and years and years. And you need to continue being in Bible study classes for years and years and years. But it's time perhaps that you switch classes and begin to pour into next generations what's been given you for years and years and years. It's where life is found. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. And so this summer, our attack is going to be the forming and the training of teams. And we're going to be talking about it from week to week, calling you to action, step onto the field, join a team of people, and let's pour into our children like we have never seen it before. Because I believe every kid ought to have that belief, that that's what the church is supposed to look like. Some of you don't need any more info. You're like, I'm in. So all you got to do is take that response sheet that you got in your guide today and just say, hey, I, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of team. I, I, I will, we'll talk to you. We'll call you. We're going to unfold more of this as the weeks go by. But you would say, I want to do that. Let's do it. You'll hear more. Second opportunity, an opportunity that I believe could greatly impact you in the life of your kids is that this summer at all Heart of Life campuses, we would like to offer Financial Peace University. Um, some of you are very familiar with Financial Peace. Some of you know Dave Ramsey. You've heard him on the, the radio. Um, I'm going to show you a little clip that hopefully kind of helps you grasp what this is. Financial Peace has kind of come to be known as the, the tool that helps you get out of debt, which is cool. Everybody, anybody for that? Yeah. But it's bigger than that. It, it's really about how you handle this. The thing that I see being one of the top three tensions in almost every household that I know of. Watch this, and then we'll talk about it. For close to 20 years, families have been changing their futures through Financial Peace University. I started it with a bad suit and an overhead projector. I set the room for 135 people, four people came. And now today we've had over one and a half million families go through this course. That's over two million people across this nation. You may be wondering, what is it? What Financial Peace University is about is a return to God's ways of handling money, but in a very practical, step-by-step, game plan showing you exactly how to do it. FPU is about learning how to control your money. When you make these dollars behave, you're going to get this sense of power over your money that you've never, ever had. Don't move into a home with 62 debts or six debts or, or two debts and no money. You move into a home broke with a bunch of debt around your neck, Murphy will move in your spare bedroom, bring his three cousins broke, desperate, and stupid. Marriages are being made stronger. Couples are learning how to talk to each other about money and getting on the same page. The closest statistical correlation to success going through this program are those that actively engage in this budgeting process. And for those that are married, they're doing it together. You change your life when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. When you get disgusted and you have that moment where you say, I've had it. I'm not going to live like this anymore. We're done. We're changing this thing. Talk about the why. Talk about your dreams. Ask your spouse. What would we do? Where would we travel to? What would we buy? What would be changed if we became something? As a couple, 
where we were working together on that. Now, man, I'm sure you know this, and we've been talking about it for the last few minutes, but it's very true. Women are different, aren't they? Say yes. One of the things you may or may not know is they have a gland right in here that you don't have. It's called the security gland. And when she is feeling insecure due to money issues, that gland spasms. And it is attached to her face. This nine lesson, 90 minute class will challenge you. Now this is a boot camp. I'm your coach. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you uncomfortable sometimes. You're going to go home and go, I don't really like him tonight. Now, now if I agree with that, which would make you wrong. <laughs> That's what happens when the coach coaches you, doesn't it? He kind of rubs you the wrong way. There's a little friction on there, right? I've had some good coaches, and they lit me up a time or two. But it caused me to go places I couldn't go otherwise. Life change is never easy, but you won't be alone. You'll watch a DVD each week and discuss it with your small group. Your classmates will encourage you and help you take those first steps. You'll walk away from FPU knowing how to relate with money. You'll learn how to pay off debt and save for the future. And you'll learn how to protect your plan. We aren't born knowing everything we need to about money. We learn, and there's no better place to learn than the Word. The Bible offers more than 800 scriptures on money, and Financial Peace University is based on that solid foundation. You are literally going to be doing things every week differently than you ever have based on biblical principles. And things like doing a budget, things like working with your spouse, things like singles having an accountability partner, things like teaching your kids so that a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It's not theory. This is actual application on everything. What would happen if the people of God started handling money God's ways? What would happen? If the, what would happen to the kingdom of God if the people of God were out of debt? All you need is a plan. Financial Peace University is that plan. What if you didn't have to live with the tension every single week of trying to figure out how to make it paycheck to paycheck? How would that change? How would that change just the effect on your heart? That's why we're going after this this summer. Um, we've got one more week of Bible study uh, next week, and then we're off on Memorial Day, and then we're off on June the 4th, and June the 11th, we would love to kick in that Bible study here and at all campuses. We'll do a class for adults, we will do classes for students, and we will do classes for kids. Now, these folks won't be teaching them. We're giving, we're giving them a rest, but we're going to do classes for all ages. It's nine weeks. We'd probably take July 4th weekend off, which wraps us up in August the 13th. Um, the way it would work is we would watch the videos because it's, it's video driven in terms of the teaching. You can watch it at home. And then we would, during the hour of Bible study, we'd work it out. We're also talking about offering an alternate night during the week where you could come back if you wanted to, watch the video, and talk through it some more. For some folks, this is like, they go after it. It's like, they're tired and they're, they're just done. They're tired of living this way, tired of the tension. And so I'm saying we're going to go after this this summer. Now, the cost for adults, for a couple, it's 100 bucks. And I know, it's the place where we go, $100? Or, but seriously, if 100 bucks could change the tension in your life financially, I'm convinced you follow the, pr the principles. Most of you could recoup 100 bucks in the first week. 
Easy. We as a Heart of Life Church are going to cover the cost of your kids and we're going to cover the cost of your students. So for 100 bucks, your whole family can get it. And yes, it is more than that because it costs for your kids and it costs for your students. We're going to cover it. I want to challenge you to go for this. Not just for you, but what if your kids could get it now? And even for those of you who think we're, we're pretty good financially, we got, I mean, I'm saying, you know what, there are always, there's more we can learn. I want to challenge you to go after it. These are opportunities that can affect your family and your children for years and years and years to come. In just a moment, um, I'm going to ask um, Dad to come back up. He's going to share a couple of announcements with you and just pray us out. Um, but before he does, I want to just end with a little story. Um, most of you are familiar, I think, with a young lady named um, Malala. You know who that is? If you don't know her name, you probably recognize her face. And I bet that most of you would recognize her story. Um, a young lady born in Pakistan, a society that values boys. And so she was shot by the Taliban for speaking out for girls to have the right to go to school. Speaking out for girls to go to school, Taliban shoots her. She lived and at 17 won the Nobel Peace Prize. That ain't bad for 17, right? That, that's not bad on a resume trying to get into college, right? Won the Nobel Peace Prize. It is her culture that when a girl is born, there is a gathering that happens, a gathering of family and friends, and there's a, a purpose to congratulate. But when a boy is born, there's a celebration. And that celebration is family and friends come together and they, as a sign of blessing, because a boy is born, they throw money into the crib. When Malala was born, as usual, her father invited family and friends to gather to celebrate her birth. And her dad took money that he had worked hard to save. And he handed it to the family and the friends who had gathered that day. And he said, she is a blessing. Throw the money in the crib. Today, I am declaring on behalf of Heart of Life that every child is a blessing. There are no ordinary children here. And from this day forward, we are throwing the money in the crib. When you do things like become a part of a team that invests in the life of your kids, you're throwing money in the crib. 
when you learn to handle your own money, that not only greatly impacts the kingdom of God, but leads your children at an early age to see it the right way, you are throwing money in the crib. And you are declaring value where value belongs. I love you. Happy Mother's Day. May God bless his church.